Welcome to Australian Hiker, your online hiking resource. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 95 of the Australian Hiker podcast. Now, if we think back to podcast episode 27, we discussed the transition from day hiking to overnight hiking. And if you think back to when you first took this step, it seemed pretty daunting. Learning how to camp overnight, cooking meals, going to the bathroom in the bush are all skills that you had to learn to master at some point. But eventually you became comfortable with undertaking overnight trips. In this episode, we're going to discuss taking this transition a step further and look at the considerations for multi-day hiking. Transitioning from a night or two to multi-day hiking trips brings a whole new set of considerations that can be just as daunting. This podcast episode discusses the main considerations for multi-day hiking and will hopefully provide you with some background if you're considering taking this next step. So what's the difference? Why is hiking and camping overnight for one or two nights any different from the multi-day hike? So what's the difference between a simple one or two night trip and a multi-day trip? And when we go through and look at this, surely the, the, the obvious answer probably for a lot of people is a multi-day trip is just a longer version of a short overnight trip. And in some respect, the answer to that is yes. But if I think back to the first multi-day trips that uh, we both undertook as a couple, the first two multi-day trips, longer than a few nights, were organised and run by professional companies uh, that did everything for us. Uh, then there was the first multi-day trip, which was a two-week trip on the Larapenta Trail, that we organised and ran ourselves. Two very different experiences. Uh, with the latter requiring us to step up to ensure that everything went well because we were ultimately responsible for it. Either way, both of these trips had additional factors that we hadn't considered, and so that's what we're going to go through and look at in this episode. So I think from um, you talked about a couple of trips that we undertook, and um, you know when you're doing an organised hiking trip and others do all of the organising, your, your focus is very much on yourself um, as opposed to so, – so in a way for me, you're looking inward. Um, when we started to do um, longer trips and we were planning them ourselves, um, the focus changed to looking outwards. And I think um, that's probably a better thing and a, and a, and a good thing um, because when you're looking inwardly, you're thinking – oh, I need this and I need this and I need this when you don't necessarily do. Um, but when you're doing it all yourself and you have to carry it all, you have to be really clear about what is important and what you do need. So let's go through and look at some of the considerations and, and discuss that uh, that uh, a bit more in detail. So probably for me, the, the biggest difference between a one and two day trip and a uh, uh, a trip that's much longer than that um, is probably the planning considerations. Um, so the things to consider when you're th talking about a, a multi-day trip is things like resupply aspects. Um, 
Are you going on a trip where you're carrying your own food and fuel in a single pack? Or does the length of the trip require you to resupply? So we mentioned the Larapinta Trail trip before. And on that trip, we actually had um, three resupply points. We didn't necessarily need to, to do that. But by having three resupply points, it means we're only carrying three to four days worth of food at a time. The other thing might be that, you know, if you're doing an eight-day trip, uh, and for me, I think carrying a maximum of around about eight days worth of food is is probably about That's a lot of food. (laughs) It is a lot of food. Uh, I can actually fit 10 days worth of food into my pack, but that just pushes the friendship on the weight uh, just a bit, and we'll talk about that in a few more minutes. Yeah, and I think that's an important one because you – you know, you've got about 700 grams of dry weight of food per person per day. So eight days, eight times seven, that's quite a bit of weight, isn't it? It is. The start-stop points are another consideration. Where are you going to start uh, the, the day off at and where are you going to stop each day? And that, you know, that has the considerations of, you know, if you're camping in a tent, you know, where can you put your tent up? It's no good stopping somewhere where there's no flat ground or there's no clear ground to put your tent up. Um, it may also mean that how how long are you going to be travelling for? If you know you have, as an example, a five-day trip and you're covering around about 65 kilometres, so as an example, that's roughly the overland track, give or take, um, how much food do you need? Uh, you know, Is that four days? Is that five days? Is that six or seven days of the food? And that's going to depend on how far you're actually traveling in a single day. Um, And these things all will have an impact on the equipment you need, the food you're carrying, and the the distance you're actually traveling within a single day. And I I think the other thing is that you, in some of those trails and some of those tracks, you have to actually camp at certain spots as well. So there's not just the hours that you want to hike in a day, but the distance you can actually realistically travel because you've got to camp at a particular spot. Yeah, so it's 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 going to depend on the track you're doing and and what the regulations or what the requirements are. You know, can you actually just find a spare spot and put the tent up or do you have to actually be at a particular camping site? Researching the trip, and again, this is all part of the planning process. On my longer multi-day trips, I'll spend weeks if not months, if not years planning uh-huh. a particular hike. <laughs> and again, I, I know I've mentioned this trip quite a lot in the last few months, Bibbleman track trip. I spent probably two years planning. Now, not all of that was intense. A lot of it, you know, in the, in the early stages, it was more just broader scoping and, and, and broader sort of aspects. But the closer I got to the trip, the more in-depth and the more fine-tuning I did and the more more detail I started to look at. So... Uh, having all that information up front um, allows me as an obsessive planner to be a bit more comfortable, a bit more relaxed. As part of this planning process and this research process, having downtime planned as well. Um, you know, are you going to take days off and just sit there and, and have a bit of a relax or go fishing or go swimming? Uh, are you going to do shorter days um, or are you going to do a few longer days? And that's really going to depend on you as an individual about what you're trying to get out of the trip. And I think and also uh, who you're traveling with as well. And sometimes you probably don't spend as much time as you need to talking about those sorts of things. Yeah. And I think, I mean, again, for me, I try and do a 
longer trip a year, and that and that might might range anywhere from a um, a seven day to a um, a thirty five or forty day trip um, every sort of couple of years. Um, and when I'm particularly when I'm doing those bigger trips, I know that I've got a a point where I finish work and I can start the trip, and I have to be back at work at a particular time. So knowing that how much time I've got off, um, how far the distance I've got to travel, or do I have to be at a certain time, be somewhere at a certain time in a certain place, um, are all considerations that you need to think about when you are going through and doing this planning process. Emergency procedures. And again, this, this is something important that you should be discussing and planning on every trip. But the longer the trips, the more complex the trips become, the more important the emergency planning becomes. So as always, let someone responsible know where you are and where you're going to be. So give them a copy of your trip outline. And it may vary. And if that's the case, let them know that you might be doing going faster or slower than you planned. But you do need to set a hard and fast time for when you want to contact them to let you know everything's okay. Outline what the process is if something goes wrong. So as an example, if you've told your responsible person you're going to be back on a certain time and you haven't and you're now a day late, do they need to worry? Or is it something you've said, look, we might be a day or two late, worry, start worrying at this point. And have a plan for trip cancellation. I think one of the biggest aspects for a lot of people is when is it time to call a hike quits? Um, and yeah, and sometimes it's it's like, well, I've paid for the airfares, I've paid for the accommodation, I've got the time off, I have to do this trip. And really, there might be instances, and this is going to be up to you to decide what they are when you say enough is enough, uh, and it's time to say time to call it quits. And sometimes you don't have a choice in that. Um, there are some terrible fires in Tasmania at the moment, um, really um, extreme circumstances, and um, you know it doesn't matter how, how much planning you've done. Uh, you you can't plan for that and you can't walk in that and uh, you know we know some people who in a few weeks time uh, were planning to hike in Tasmania and um, you know their their plan B is still go to Tasmania but they might be doing day trips rather than the the hike that they had planned. Now as I said planning is something that carries through all aspects of a multi-day hike uh, and including equipment. So transitioning from day hiking to an overnight hiking brings with it new gear to carry. So when you did your first overnight hike, you had to carry sleeping equipment, uh, cooking systems of some sort, as well as additional food. And if you're going for only going for a night or two, um, then your pack's not likely to be overly heavy and you'll usually have redundant space. Go on a longer multi-day trip uh, and all of a sudden the weight increases uh, and the redundant space available in your pack gets less. Uh, and from my perspective, there is physical limit to the amount of equipment and food that you can fit into a pack, even if you have a large pack. And this can potentially impact on the length of the hike or dictate the resupply options you've got to go through and have. As I mentioned, I, I, my, my pack is capable of carrying 10 days worth of food. But from my perspective, it's, it becomes a bit more uncomfortable and not as enjoyable when you're carrying that much weight. So whatever trip I do, I will always carry the appropriate size pack to meet my needs. 
So when I undertake an overnight trip, I choose one of my smaller packs that fits all my gear. But under, undertaking a multi-day trip will require more gear and more supplies. So as a result, you're likely to use a larger pack. So in a way, in a way though, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, you've got more food um, for longer hikes, um, but your safety kit is your safety kit. Your hygiene kit is your hygiene kit. Um, you, you know what I mean? It, it's it's. I, I guess in a way, for each of those things, it's probably marginal in terms of the extra you're carrying. But the point, perhaps, you're making is that it adds up. Yeah, it it, it does. And I, I suppose I'd mention here that my pack that I use at the moment has a 51-litre capacity, um, and my personal preference is not to go larger than that, and I do own a, a larger pack. Um, but I find that, as I said, I can with this size pack, I can carry anything up to 10 days worth of food and all the equipment I need for pretty much anything except, say, snow conditions. Uh, so three-season hiking. As I said, I prefer to carry a maximum of eight days' food due to the weight, so this becomes the limiting factor when it comes to resupply or having days off in, in towns or cities. Um, but as an individual, this is a decision that you're going to make. You can buy 100-litre packs on the market, um, and if I ended up doing that, I could probably carry enough food or physically have enough space to carry food for probably about 25 days, uh, but there's no way that I'd want to be carrying that much weight. So it is a, a, a so pack weight really does become a compromise uh, between how much you want to carry and how much you feel comfortable carrying. Um, as I said, so for me, 18 and a half kilos, which is eight days worth of food and three days worth of water and all the equipment that I need to keep me warm and comfortable in, in any conditions except for snow. Um, uh, is is the is the limitation or is the, the 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 compromise that I'm willing to make? Well, I think that there's also a um, guidance on, you know, based on your size, um, what's a reasonable amount to carry, and it's depending on what you see. I mean, I've seen varying figures through this, and it's somewhere between twenty to thirty percent. I prefer to have a maximum weight carry of 20%. So given that I'm I'm just sitting on 100 kilos at the moment, that's 20 kilos. Um, so I'm a large, fairly muscular male. Um, so 20 kilos is not a particularly heavy pack. I've seen people carry much heavier loads than that uh, with smaller physical weight, you know, probably approaching the 25 to 30% of their body weight. Um, but one thing I'd mention here, there's a well-known saying in long-distance hiking uh, that relates to comfort on the trail versus comfort in camp. And again, there's, there really is no correct answer here. Um, but what it comes down to is carry a big heavy pack with lots and lots of stuff like camp chairs and really comfortable comfortable equipment. So when you get to camp at nighttime, you've got all the creature comforts in the world. And I've seen people bring portable DVDs on overnight trips. Um, but on that basis, you do that, you're carrying the weight, which means when you're hiking, you're, you're, you're having a less comfortable walking trip because of the additional weight in the pack. So just going back to that 20 to 30%, um, I, 
for me, twenty percent is high, and I, um, I, I prefer to keep my pack about eleven kilos, um, twelve, thirteen, fourteen if I have to carry extra weight. But I really notice, I really notice and feel that extra weight as well. Um, so that then starts to get into the territory of you're making choices and and active choices about um, what you choose to carry and what you choose to leave behind. So as I said, in most cases, this is a compromise. So really what you need to be looking at is consider every piece of gear and bit of food you take with you. Don't carry stuff just because you might use it. Now, this doesn't include things like first aid equipment and safety equipment. <laughs> yeah, um, please carry that. <laughs> but but you know, carrying two two pairs of pants and three changes of clothing, um, when in, in in most cases most people are probably comfortable with just a pair of pants. Um, and I know for me, long distance hiking, I smell. There's just no way, no way, no way you can get past that. Um, I smell even after one day of of, of having brand new fresh clothing. So I'm happy to put up with that. But again, you may not be. Yeah, I may not be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can you replace a heavier piece of gear with a lighter piece of gear? Um, So in this case here, a lighter weight tent, uh, a lighter weight cook set, uh, a lighter weight sleeping bag. All these things add up. Um, And certainly from my perspective, I'm trying to become an ultralight hiker. I'm getting there slowly, bit by bit. I'm probably bordering on what you class as a lightweight hiker at the moment. You've got a long way to go. But I've still got a way to go. (laughs) Uh, And again, carrying podcasting and and blogging equipment uh, tends to impact on that. And the other aspect of pack weight is can you make a piece of gear dual purpose? So as an example here, can your clothing pack become your pillow? Um, or is there something else you can get two functions out of uh, rather than just having um, a separate pillow, as an example? Still into the um, the equipment gear uh, category is, is hot, being hot versus cold. Now, on a single overnight trip, you can look at the weather forecast, or even on a two-day trip, you can look at the weather forecast and carry the equipment you need to be comfortable based on that forecast. However, on a multi-day trip, the longer your trip, the less reliable the weather forecast can become. Now, we did a, a trip up to the Australian Alps uh, over Christmas um, in uh, uh, about a month ago. Uh, and the morning we got up there, this was, uh, this was basically a couple of days before Christmas. So, you know, it was summertime. Uh, the overnight temperature was minus two point five degrees Celsius. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and it's the sort of thing that you you don't think about. Well, it's summertime. I obviously don't need to have uh, stuff to keep me warm at night time. Um, you can hike in desert conditions and have thirty to forty degrees Celsius during the daytime and be freezing at night time. So make sure you have the correct layering uh, and you're comfortable for the range of uh, equipment you need. And this means on a multi-day trip, you may have to carry this just in case. Having the correct safety gear, uh, and this includes um, um, things like emergency locator beacons or a personal locator beacon to make two-way communicators. And I'll give an example here. We, we talked about earlier on our Larapenta trail trip. Um, and talking to the rangers, the helicopters don't fly at night time. So if they need to, they'll drive or walk someone, uh, drive as close as they can get, 
walk someone in and they might stay with you um, until the next day uh, and then walk out with you or get you to a place where a helicopter can come and pick you up. So um, it's good to be able to be located um, easily and rapidly if it needs to be. So ensure that if your trip is longer, you know how to find your way. So as an example, is the trail easy to follow or do you need a map and compass? Food and water and other supplies. So in relation to food, as I said, um, I do like my food. Um, I am reasonably fussy with what I eat when I'm hiking. Um, I won't carry food just because it saves weight or because um, I think it's, I should carry it. I carry it because I like eating it. And particularly on multi-day trips, um, I get to a stage where I go through cycles over a period of 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 weeks, particularly if I'm doing the, the very long trips, where I'll, as an example, I use beef jerky. I've had beef jerky on La Repenta Trail, where the first um, first week I was eating jerky. Middle period, I just couldn't stand it and didn't want to go near it. And towards the end of the trip, it was I was craving it again. So don't make your food the same every day. Allow a bit of variety. Um, and again, knowing how much food you need to carry. And this is something that everyone's different. It's something you're going to have to work out. And unfortunately, I can say, here's a list of what I carry, and that'll give you a guide, but it may not suit you as an individual. It'll be a guide only. Nutrition is more important on longer trips. So as far as possible, bring food, as I said, that you enjoy, but also has reasonably nutrition is reasonably nutritionally sound. So don't just eat as an example, Mars bars for two weeks. Um, <laughs> you can get away with that on a weekend, but not, not necessarily for weeks on end. Yeah, so as I said, so choose something you like and choose something that's also good for you at the same time. Water. As part of your planning process, you need to know where you can get water and how much you'll need to carry between water sources. So, you know, you may find that you have to, you can pick up water partway through the first day and you won't be getting water for another 24 hours later um, and you've got an overnight stop. So you've got to have water to carry you through the, 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 the remainder of the first day and part, uh, cook at night time, have breakfast the next morning and then go through and uh, uh, you know possibly to lunchtime or later in the day before you can pick it up. So again, this comes back to the planning aspect. Where are you picking up water and how much do you need to carry? Um, I've seen a lot of people skimp on carrying water. Um, if it's hot conditions, um, normally during summertime, I'll tend to carry a litre an hour. Uh, so if I'm hiking for eight days in the middle of summer, that's eight litres of water I'll go through. Um, now, I'm not going to particularly carry eight litres of water, but it might be carrying sort of four litres, uh, maybe five, uh, and I'd need to know where else I can pick up water if I need to. It's also loading up in the morning, carrying as much as you can, and loading up at the end of the day as well. Yeah, as I said, don't don't skimp. Don't you know? It's if you're going to save weight, don't save weight on water um, if it means it's going to put you in danger. Yeah. Uh, and do you need to filter the water? Um, I have done trips without filtering, but usually, as a matter of course, I will filter my water. Um, even if to get the, the 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 solid particles out of it, but sometimes just to get the small bacteria and uh, um, and things like giardia out of the water, which can exist even in Australia. 
know how much stove fuel to use. And this depends on whether you're actually using a stove or not. Um, but for me, we tend to only use a stove to boil water. Um, and if we're hiking as a couple, a 100-gram canister will last us about eight days. If I'm solo hiking, it'll last me about 12 days. Um, so this allows me to work out what size canister I need to carry. And as I said, a 100-gram canister is, is normally fine. Um, and where I need to replace the cylinders. Um, and typically what I'll do is when I resupply with food, I'll get a new canister just because it makes it easy. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting one because if you're if you're going to take canisters that uh, you have used previously, you need to be pretty clear on how much is left. So if you're not monitoring it closely and uh, writing it on the canister or something like that, that you've used it three times to do X, Y, Z, um, you won't have any idea what's in the canister. And certainly in the coming weeks, we'll actually be doing up an article on how to work out how much fuel you've got left in your canister um, and, and making sure you can get the, the most out of them rather than throwing away half-empty canisters all the time. The other important factor to think about is footwear. Uh, and this means you need to get comfortable with your footwear prior to going on your hike. Don't use brand new sh hiking shoes or hiking boots unless you know exactly how they're going to react. Now, from my perspective, I when I did the Bibble and Track hike, I put on a brand new pair of shoes when I got on the plane um, the day before I actually started my hike. But I knew exactly how my feet would react to them, and I didn't need to wear them in. But I do have other things like heavier grade boots where I do wear them in and take a bit more time. Um, but get used to using your footwear, and for that matter, get used to using all your equipment beforehand. There's another saying in hiking of pack it in, pack it out. And this means any bits and pieces you take in with you should come out. So have a rubbish bag to put all the waste in. Gone are the days, uh, and from an Australian perspective, of burn, bash, and bury, where you used to put all your rubbish into the fire and burn it, uh, bash it and squash it down, and then bury it in a hole. And that was what we used to do years ago. These days, you, you bring it in, and you bring it out and put it in the rubbish bin when you get home. The one of the, the biggest differences on a multi-day hike tend to be the physical differences. So you need to know your physical endurance and also your limits. I regularly walk up my local mountain, uh, and it's not unusual for people to be pack training in preparation for some trip. And I did this two days ago in the morning. I Usually I'm, I'm walking up at around about 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, the other day I had a bit of a sleep in, and I was walking up around 7 o'clock, and there were a number of people that had full hiking packs that were obviously getting ready for a trip. Um, uh, an upcoming trip in the future. And that's pretty common, um, particularly on this one particular walk, simply because it gives people a chance to push themselves going up a hill. The biggest mistake that people make doing this training is they don't start early enough. Uh, it's no good saying, well, I'm going to do a 50 or 100 kilometer trip and I'll, I'll wear a pack a few days beforehand. You need to be comfortable with doing the distances you plan. So if you plan on hiking 10 or 20 kilometers or 30 kilometers a day, you should know that you can actually do that as part of training beforehand. With your full pack. With your full pack. And the other thing, and I've actually seen people do this, and I've had people comment to me, 
that one of the mistakes they made is they went through and they did 25 kilometers and said, yep, not a problem, I can do this. But then they were doing 25 kilometers every day and after two days, they struggled. So doing just one day on a multi-day trip for training, um, you might have to do go and do a weekend somewhere, do a shakedown hike with your full set of gear uh, and see how your body copes with a full pack for two days or three days before you do a, a larger trip. So pushing yourself on a one or two, uh, on a one or two day trip is physically hard, but usually it's manageable for most people. But try this on a one-week trip. If you haven't prepared, you'll know about it. Know your limitations and don't go full bore on the first part of the trip unless you've trained for that. So it's not unusual. And again, for my Bibbleman track hike, I did, I think it was 38 kilometers on the first day. I'd trained, I'd done big distances beforehand. It actually wasn't my intent to do that. It was just the way the conditions worked out. Um, and it was it meant that I uh, didn't have to do a long diversion the next day. Uh, but I was physically prepared for that. Know the impacts that hiking will ha- with a heavy pack will have on you. Um, as I said, if you haven't worn a heavy pack before, a fully loaded pack with a week's worth of, of weight in it, um, uh, and the first time you do it is on the first day of the trip, you are going to struggle and you're not going to enjoy it. So go through and do a shakedown hike. So do a single day hike, do a a two or three day hike uh, and see how you go. See what the differences are and build up to whatever length of trip you plan on it. So if you plan on doing a two week long 200 kilometer trip, you know, obviously you can't do a 200 kilometer training trip, but do a couple of days in a row where you're doing the, the distances you plan and see what happens. As part of that, uh, the physical preparation, caring for your feet is a big issue. So as I said, hiking over one or two days will probably likely have a little impact on your feet, but hiking over multiple days can destroy them if your feet aren't toughened and hardened. So having done preparation, you know, and, and again, for me, for a big trip, I'll prepare, doing, be doing serious preparation a couple of months out. Um, doing longer trips, toughening up my feet, getting the physical fitness up. I think for me, the thing about feet is also um, be prepared for the unexpected. Uh, so, you know, I have a familiarity with blisters in a particular place and, um, you know, it's great when they don't eventuate, um, but you could almost bet that you'll end up with a blister in a slightly different place, which may mean that you need a slightly different plaster or a different treatment for it. And I, I'm very similar. I, I, For me, I tend to get blisters or hot spots in my feet in particular ways and in certain patterns. It's pretty consistent for me. So I now know what I need to do when I'm starting the longer hikes and what I need to do to prevent that. So... Come prepared for dealing with blisters uh, and know how to strap your feet if blisters on the bottom of your feet are an issue. And that's an issue that I have. I know that if I'm doing days of 25 kilometers plus over multiple days, I will have an issue with hot spots on my feet and I do need to strap them. Now, this next topic is something that probably is not most people tend not to like talking about, but going to the toilet when you're out hiking. 
Even though you might have camped overnight before, you may never have to have gone to the toilet and pooped in the woods before. Your overnight trips may be limited to camping near toilet facilities. Um, so do you even know how to go to the toilet in the bush? Uh, and the short answer is an appropriate size <laughs> cat hole and then do your business. Uh, but that's easier said than done if you've never had to do it before. And I know for me, it wasn't a skill I was ever really taught as a child. Uh, squatting, and, squatting. Squatting, yeah. And it, it's something that I just had to learn and I still don't think I get it 100% right. Um, <laughs> my, my legs aren't particularly flexible. I don't, don't tend to squat that well. But, yeah, it's a sort of thing. It's a, it's a learnt skill. And if you haven't had to do it before, um, you know, all of a sudden you're out hiking and it's like, how do I do this? Um, so it's it's something you need to think about before you go. And again, as I said, maybe you have to practice it as well. Yeah. And for the ladies, if if um, you're concerned about uh, having having a wee in the woods, um, don't forget that there are all sorts of other options, including the she-wee um, that you can use as well. So you don't necessarily have to drop your pants all the time. Now, we've gone from the physical, let's look on to the mental. Multi-day hikes can be just as much as a mental challenge as a physical one. Uh, now, I like solo hiking just as I like uh, hiking with Jill. Um, I'm, I'm pleased to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you may decide that you're going to try a solo hike and, you know, you've done it before on a day or two trip, but, you know, all of a sudden this transfers to a 7 or a 10 or a 20-day trip and are you going to be able to cope with that? Uh, and it may not be something you find out until you're actually on the trip yourself. If in doubt, go hiking with somebody and see how you go. Um, as I said, I know from my perspective, I cope with uh, uh, solo trips quite well, um, but not everyone does. Uh, and as part of this, do you need some sort of entertainment? So I know a lot of hikers will listen to podcasts or music on the trail, and they'll have a, a set of headphones in, which, and it's always really good when you approach someone that you see and you know, they're not responding to you, and you realise that uh, they've gone through, they've got headphones in and they can't hear you. You know, things like cards or games or a book. Uh, these are all things that you need to think about. Uh, or are you just happy uh, just being in the moment and, and, you know, you get to the camp and sit around and just think? Really, it's up to you. Now, as far as multi-day hikes are concerned, there are a couple of options, uh, with particularly if you're first starting off and haven't done a multi-day hike before. As I mentioned in the introduction to this podcast, if you haven't done a multi-day hike, you've really got two options. You can go in an organized group, whether this is with a commercial company or with a club, um, or you can jump in feet first and do your own thing. Both of these options are perfectly valid, um, but if you haven't done a multi-day trip before, we'd suggest going with others at least on your first trip so you can iron out any kinks and learn from people who have done this before. From then on, you may decide to do it all yourself. So for Jill and I, we did we did, went on two organised long-distance trips uh, that lasted uh, around about 14 to 15 days. Uh, and then the third trip we did ourselves, knowing how we coped, what we did, um, and again, it was still a learning experience because having to think about and do all the planning um, is a, as an additional layer that you may not have to do when someone else is organising. Um, but you know, certainly for us, it was a good way to get into to multi-day hiking. Um, and again, particularly the longer trip. So 
as I said, going on a, a three or four day trip may not be that much of a stress. Going on a seven to 10 day trip might be a big difference. So what it comes down to, as I said, is having a successful multi-day trip. As I mentioned before, the real aspect is planning. In everything we've discussed in this, uh, in this podcast, it all revolves around planning. Um, I've been hiking for over 40 years and can still remember my first overnight trip uh, longer than two days. Uh, and for me, my first introduction to overnight trips were car camping uh, and then during school, through an organized trip, it was an overnight uh, trip for three days. Uh, and again, that was a bit of a, a, a culture shock that because it was something I hadn't had to do before. Um, having said that, I'm still learning every time I go out. Uh, I still make mistakes. Uh, I still think I, I could have done that better. Uh, and I learn and, and put that into practice the next time. So as I said, spending the time prior to the trip to try and get all aspects planned out as best as you can um, and to do the physical preparation beforehand will greatly increase the chances of having a great trip. And as I said, if you don't feel like venturing out on your own, take, a, and take part in an organized trip um, because there's nothing that says you have to do it all by yourself. Um, nothing wrong with doing organized trips and that's all you do. Um, if that's what you enjoy, that's fine. Okay, so we hope you've enjoyed this uh, uh, discussion on transitioning to multi-day hiking. Um, uh, this podcast is also available as a written uh, version uh, on our website, www.australianhiker.com.au. You can also listen to this podcast through Stitcher Radio, through Spotify, through SoundCloud, uh, and through iTunes. And if you have the chance, please go through and rate us uh, a five-star rating on iTunes to help get the message out there. Next week's episode is our bonus episode for February, and we're going to be releasing our on-trail episode for our Aussie 10 trip, which we did uh, over Christmas that's just gone, um, up in the Australian Alps. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me. <laughs>